Well, let's uh, turn to our passage uh, for our scripture reading in the book of Romans and in chapter 12 uh, today, the next part in our study of this great book. So Romans 12, and we're just going to be reading the first two verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. May God's word uh, touch our hearts today. These verses, as you can see, form an appeal. And that means it's not, it's not a command, it's an appeal. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. Now that means the tone is, is a softer tone. And what he's actually doing here, to use uh, other words that mean the same thing, is he's imploring them, uh, he's beseeching them, he's even pleading with them rather than commanding. And uh, he's doing all of that on the basis of their understanding of the mercies of God. I appeal to you on this basis, he says. Now, we know what appeals are. We've seen them on the telly. Uh, there's been some you know, natural disaster, famine, earthquake, or whatever. And, and when, the, when the appeal is, is given, you know, they don't come on and, and wag the finger at uh, the, uh, the TV audience and say, oh, you people in the materialistic West, you know, you need to stop thinking about yourself and uh, thinking about people who are worse off and, you know, dig deep into your pockets. And I mean, that's not the tone at all, is it? The way that they do it is, obviously, they, they tell the story, and uh, they show some images, and they appeal to people on that basis. They appeal to the compassion uh, and the generosity of people to respond. And so this appeal is something that is looking for a response. You actually get another example of this. If you, if you were to turn to the book of Philemon... Uh, Paul was writing to that man uh, about a former employee. Well, he was a slave who'd run away and stolen. And he said, you know, I'm the Apostle Paul. Um, I, I could lay down the law here. I could just tell you what you need to do. But I prefer not to do that. I would far rather appeal to you. I'm Paul. I'm, a, I'm an old man now. You know, I'm your father in the faith. And I would far rather appeal to you on the basis of our love and friendship rather than telling you what you need to do in this situation. So, so this is an appeal uh, that comes to us. It comes to us on the basis of God's mercies. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, on the basis of everything that's gone before, everything else that I've spoken to, everything else that I've written down in this letter up until this point, these are all the mercies of God. When I talk to you about the power of the gospel of Christ, when I talk to you about the love of God in Christ, that when we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly, on the basis of that, on the basis of God's love, which nothing can separate us from, 
on the basis of the sovereign purposes of God, which you are part of, which will definitely, irrevocably be carried out, on the basis of all of these things, I make my appeal. I plead with you. I beseech you. I implore you. And that is the tone. And it's not just some theoretical thing. It's not as if, as if the, the guys in Rome every Thursday, you know, they met for their book club, you know, and they, and they read a chapter of, of Romans and they had a wee talk about it and a cup of coffee and a scone and then went back home and did the same thing the next week after that. Um, he's looking for a response. He's looking for them to act on the basis of, of this appeal. And that is something that uh, is always challenging for us to respond to this appeal. I was uh, reminded of a story that I had read. I looked it up, I double-checked it. It had to do with Benjamin Franklin. You know, he was one of the big movers in the American uh, uh, independence, became their first ambassador, actually, as a new nation to France. Uh, He was also a publisher at one point lived in Philadelphia and on one occasion he went to hear um, George Whitfield. This is in the mid-1700s, um, famous preacher. He'd actually, he'd actually um, heard Whitfield on numerous occasions and uh, in fact he was, a, he, was a, he was switched on as a businessman because he printed a lot of Whitfield's sermons and messages and, and made a little bit out of that. Um, The story is this, that he went to hear Whitfield preach in Philadelphia, and uh, he knew what happened at the end of all of his services, that an appeal was made. Because Whitfield, as well as being an evangelist, also ran several children's homes down in Georgia, and he always took up a collection at the end of his message. Well, having heard him a number of times, Franklin said, uh, he thought Whitfield had got enough of his money up until this point, And he resolved on that particular day he wasn't going to get anything at all. But he went along to listen to the man preach. And he had in his pocket um, some coins, gold, silver and copper, as the story goes. Well, it, the story is this, that as the, as the, as the service began, uh, Whitfield um, was so appealing in the way that he set out the gospel that 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 Franklin began to soften. And he said, well, I'll give him some of my copper coins. Um, And as the the orator really warmed to his task, um, he thought, there are some silver coins here as well. Uh, And as the whole thing reached its its conclusion, and, uh, you know, he was just so moved by everything, when the plate came round, he just emptied his his uh, his pockets and gave him the gold and everything. It, it was his response, his response to to this appeal on the basis of what he'd heard. Now, you know, this passage is not asking for our money. You know, what it is asking for us to do is something very specific. It's to do something, and it is to be something. So, what what is the appeal? Well, first of all, as you can see here, the appeal is that we present ourselves. That we are to make a presentation. All right? Now, a presentation in these terms is not just about, um, you know, 
giving a talk in front of an audience. It's not doing what Claire did even with a, a PowerPoint presentation. Um, this is this is taking up Old Testament language. Because when the word presentation is used, it's a throwback to the sacrifices that they offered. So, I mean, this is, this is the kind of thing that would happen. Uh, family might be sitting around the, the kitchen table and uh, they're talking and saying, well, God has been very good to us. We've been blessed in so many ways. I think, I think we really need to express our gratitude uh, to God here. And they, and they knew what the law said was expected. And so they, they walk outside to the family farm, out to the flock or out to the herds, and they select one of the animals, and they, they take the short walk up to the temple, speak to the priest, and that animal is presented to God. It's offered to God as an expression of their thankfulness, of their devotion, of what God has done for them. They make this presentation. Now, that, that's the background. That's what it means. But you know, you'll, you'll have noticed that there is a slight difference in the way that things are described in this verse here. Because what it talks about is not the body of an animal. But he talks about the presentation being our bodies. And it's not as if he's talking about an animal that's dead upon an altar in the temple. But he's talking about what almost seems like a contradiction in terms. He talks about a sacrifice or a presentation that is a living one. And so this is, this is the presentation that is being asked for. Our bodies being presented to God as a living sacrifice. Now, that means it's not just some vague spiritual notion. I mean, it's to affect all of our life, our, our body, our soul, and our spirit it's about everyday life. It's about everything I do. And it's about every part of me. You see, there was a school of thought in the first century that reckoned that physical and material things were not really the important thing. And it was just what you did in your spirit that really mattered. It was, it was spirituality that was the important thing. And, and, and they lived this kind of dual life. You know, they were taken up with all the kind of uh, these spiritual thoughts and yet with everyday life they, they like they lived as they pleased you know perhaps that dichotomy is 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 something that we see in our day too that that sometimes people will will talk a good game and know the vocabulary and and know what to say in certain situations and spirituality is important but it bears no relevance um, to how the, the life is lived. And there's a divergence as far as that's concerned. What this is telling us, no. You know, we have, to, we have to offer ourselves. We have to present ourselves in a conscious, deliberate, definite way. Just as they brought that animal and handed it over to the priest for it to be offered. We have to make that presentation of ourselves, our bodies... As a living sacrifice. So what does that word sacrifice convey? Well if something's a sacrifice. Just at the basic level. We all know that it means that it costs something. 
It was something that was of, of some value. And we've had to sacrifice that. I mean, David the king, on one occasion, um, said to somebody, you know, I'm not going to take this as a gift from you. Uh, will I offer to God something that cost me nothing? I mean, what, what would that be if it, if it didn't cost me anything as I offered it to God? And we know what Jesus taught. He said that if anyone wants to come after me and follow me, they must deny themselves. There has to be an element of sacrifice. There are things that have to be given up. There are things that have to be left. There are things that we have to die to if we are to follow Christ. And by definition, Christianity has always meant that there needs to be sacrifice, cost, in following after the Lord Jesus. And in offering ourselves, in presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice, there has to be cost. There has to be things that are given up. That's what we are called to as far as this appeal is concerned. But the idea of sacrifice also, of course, takes with it the idea of worship. In fact, depending on what translation of the Bible that you have in front of you, um, some of them at the end of verse number 1, where in the ESV reads, which is your spiritual uh, worship. Some of them, I'll mention this later on, have the idea of logical service, but spiritual worship is what we have here. It's worship. That is what sacrifice is. It's spiritual worship. And that can be anything. Last week we talked about that great doxology and how you know, he bursts into praise with his lips as he thinks about what God has done. But here he's talking about not what he says or what he sings. He's talking about how he lives his life. His life is an expression of his spiritual worship. And you're, maybe you remember the a well-known story about the housewife in the kitchen who had a plaque put up just above the sink which read, divine service is conducted here three times daily when she did the dishes, you know. And, and that was her worship. That's her, and, and when we look at things in that sense, that whatever we do, we do it as unto the Lord and it's an expression of my worship to him. It changes life radically. It changes my whole motivation and my attitude uh, to everything. And there are so many instances and examples of that in scripture. You might want to jot some of these ones down. Philippians 4.18. Paul writes to that church in Philippi. And he's thanking them for, for the, their financial support. You know? So just like Whitfield and Franklin, there was financial support involved. But, but what he says is this, that that was a fragrant offering. That was an acceptable sacrifice that had been offered to God. Weird in some ways for us to think about that. But what we do even at that level is worship to God. And, and you read this in other places uh, as well. And of course the point is that when it talks about a living sacrifice, 
as being spiritual worship. It means that it is our best, our best that is demanded. It's not, um, and we challenge ourselves with this, it's not just to be what is left over that we devote to God. It's not to be just the kind of cast off part of our life when we've done everything else and we've given um, our attention and our priority in other areas that if we've got a little bit spare and a little bit of extra time, then we devote that to God. I mean, that was the whole point uh, in the time of Malachi. You remember Malachi really remonstrates with the people. He said, I've been watching you guys when you go up with your animal to the temple. And I know what happens. He said, I've, I've seen what these lambs are like that you bring. I've seen what these uh, bulls are like. They're, they're not the best. You didn't go out to the field today and, and, and select the one that was the cream of the crop. I mean, what you did was you, you looked to see the ones that you, could, that you really didn't want anyway. The ones that were diseased. The ones that were damaged. The ones that were deformed. And, and, and these are the ones that you brought to offer to God. And he said, that's not good enough. He said, try offering that to your governor. And seeing if your governor will accept that. And so the appeal comes to us. That we offer ourselves. I beseech you. I implore you. Present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. And as I was saying earlier, that um, some translations take that last phrase of verse 1 and, and also um, render that um, as reasonable service. This is your reasonable service. This, this is the logical thing to do. This, this makes sense. It was very well summed up in a famous phrase by a cricketer. This guy was back in Victorian days. He was the kind of, uh, he was like Ben Stokes in Victoria ty- Victorian times, C.T. Studd. And uh, he, he, he said this, and he was trying to be logical. He was trying to be reasoned. He said, now this is the way I look at this. Okay, if, if Jesus Christ is God... And if he died for me, then there should be no sacrifice too great that I should be willing to make for him. That, that was how he logically worked it out. That was his reasonable service, his logical conclusion. And, uh, I mean, that should be the logic. In his case, he was a, a wealthy aristocrat and he, he, he gave all that up and he went to serve the Lord in Africa and uh, he, he lived it out. And that appeal comes to us today. You see, up until now in the book of Romans, if you like, the imagery, the mercies of God has been that Christ has been upon the altar for us. Christ on the cross for us a sacrifice for us what he's now saying is this that i should be on the altar for the sake of christ and i should live my life and present my life as a living sacrifice now this presentation 
This presentation uh, is to happen in two ways. One of them is negative, and one of them is positive. So the, the, the negative one, as you can see from verse 2, the second word that we have here, is don't be conformed. As you, as you present yourself as a living sacrifice, don't be conformed to this world. This world, this age that we live in, uh, has a pattern, you know, can be rendered that way. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Uh, there is a pattern to things. And, and we have to deviate from that pattern. We have not to follow that pattern. I don't know if folks even still do this kind of thing. I can remember my mother doing some knitting and she always had this pattern that she worked from. You know, you had to follow the pattern and make sure you got the thing right. There is a pattern out there as far as our, our day and age is concerned. That's to be binned as far as the Christian is concerned. That's to be put to the side. We, we're following a different pattern. We are not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. The values, the standards... The behaviours, by and large. Now, that's not to, that's not to say that Christians are to be weirdos. That we've just got, we, we dress different. We've got a different tone to our voice, and we just go our way to be weirdly different for the sake of being different. That that is not what it means when it says don't be conformed. But it, it means that the kind of things that he'll go on in this passage in detail to talk about, you know, we are we are not to do. So if you go down this passage. Verse 17, just as an example, he'll say, you know, I don't want you to repay evil for evil. When, when, when people do bad things to you and they say bad things and they spread rumors and all the rest of it, you've not to, you've not to repay that in kind. You've not to take revenge into your own hands. That's, that's not the Christian way. You have, to, you have, you have to, to love them. If your enemy is hungry, you feed them. If they're thirsty, you give them something to drink. It's a different pattern. And, and so you've got to be a non-conformist. Uh, there's a, another famous translation of, of that phrase, actually, in the, 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 the version that G.B. Phillips has. And uh, the turn of phrase he uses is, don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. You know, we're all being squeezed. There is a mold out there. You've not to allow yourself to be squeezed into that mould. I can remember when I was at school in Hamilton, we had a school trip to Ravenscraig Steelworks, no longer there, so all ended. But I can I can remember uh, being taken. I don't know how the health and safety boys would look on this now, but I can remember seeing all that molten metal coming down, and and it was it was going into, you know, metal moulds, metal moulds. And once it was set, it was set. And that, that was what it was. You know, we, we, we were almost told to have a, a little alternative branch that the, the metal works somewhere else. Not into that mold, but into Christ's mold. And so we're going to think about that. Actively, not, how can I not allow myself to be conformed and be squeezed 
and to follow that pattern. It's, it's allowed, we have to think about this and we have to respond. That's the negative. The positive side is, rather than being conformed, we have to be transformed. We have to be metamorphosized. That, that's the word, actually, like the, the butterfly. To be changed, completely changed. And, I mean, sometimes we ask ourselves, I mean, can I really be changed for the better? You know, will I ever change? Can I, can I ever move on and move forward? Well, I mean, the great message of the gospel is, of course we can. That's the whole point. That it's not a theory thing, this. Absolutely, there's the power of, of the gospel of Christ. And, and we can be changed by God's grace. And the agents of change are God's word and God's spirit that applies his word. And it's by the renewing of our mind that this transformation takes place. That is the key. That our minds should be transformed. That's where it starts. That's where it happens. And and it means that we have to start to think in a different way. In a different way. You know, sometimes people go overseas and, um, you know, they've been used to doing something as northeast man, you know, in the northeast of Scotland, our own little way of doing things. And uh, you go elsewhere and and you've got to learn to think differently and to approach things differently and just to think in a new way. That's what he's saying here. That our minds need to be renewed. We need to start thinking differently and be informed specifically by God's word. I mean, I was reading part of Psalm 119 uh, this last week. And let me read from the second stanza of that. He says, uh, how can a young man keep his way pure? Answer, by guarding it. How How do you guard your way? By guarding it according to your word. Then he says, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He talks about taking delight in God's word. About meditating on God's word. That is how our mind is renewed. It's by reading God's word and seeing its standards and its teaching and when we begin to do that and we need to remind ourselves about that that what he says happens is that we begin to discern verse 2 what the will of God is that's a fantastic thing I can know the will of God I can know God's will God's perfect good and acceptable will so remember this that God's will fundamentally is not just about I wonder what job I'll get. Or I wonder what house I should buy. Or what town I should live in. I've got these decisions. And I'd like to know God's will about that. I mean, God is interested in all of that. But fundamentally, that's not what it means. When it talks about God's will, it's talking about what is right. God's moral will. The things that are good. The things that are perfect. The things that are acceptable. And if we renew our minds... We'll be transformed so that we will understand these things. And all the other bits actually will fall into place from that. So, in conclusion, 
Three things we've thought about today. Present yourself. Don't conform. And be transformed. And, and that forms the basis of God's appeal to us. He's pressing that on us. He's beseeching us. He's asking us to react in response. And I think it would be good because it, there is active decision making that is required for us. Just as we conclude and as we pray in a moment. For us to think on these three things. And in response to God's appeal today. What would I have to do to follow through on each of these things that he's laid to us? I mean, the rest of the chapter will go down and and make more specific details as far as these are the general principles today. But it would be good for all of us in our own setting, in our own lives, just to think at this point. What do I need to do to fulfill the points of this appeal? Now, shall we pray? So Lord, we we give thanks for your mercies, for all that you have done in Christ. Thank you that we've been able to remember him, to just have our attention focused on his body that was given and his blood that was shed, the tremendous mercies of God, Christ upon the altar for us. And Lord, we've listened now to your word and how we are to respond and react as you appeal to us. And we ask, Lord, that as we now pause and reflect and try to respond, what what does it mean for us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice? What does it mean for us not to be conformed, but to be transformed? And so, Lord, we commit your word uh, to all of us today. And we ask, Lord, that there will be a true reaction um, as we now just commit ourselves to you. And thank you for all your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.